0: Today on Something You Should Know, a few skills that will instantly make you a better and safer driver. Then hackers. They can hack any internet-enabled device in your home, even your refrigerator.
1: I can hack a refrigerator and I can have that refrigerator in the background do ad fraud where it's going on the internet and clicking ads and you don't know. There's a million ways to make money off hacking any device. Then,
0: in case you need one, I've got a really good reason to go to church this weekend. And how new technology can improve health care. And health care needs improving.
2: Because it used to be, you know, you'd have an hour with a patient uh, for a new appointment or at least 30 minutes for a return visit. Those numbers have gone to 12 and 7 minutes. So it's really led to this erosion, a serious degradation of the way medicine is
0: practiced. All this today on Something You Should Know. Drop in. Watch free. Something you should know. Fascinating intel. The world's top experts. And practical advice you can use in your life. Today, Something You Should Know with Mike Carruthers. You know, we hit a milestone a while back that I completely forgot to mention. That I think is worth mentioning. And that is we crossed the 20 million download mark which means over 20 million times uh, the episodes of Something You Should Know have been downloaded. The fact that you are listening to me tell you that means you are counted somewhere in that 20-plus million people. So, thank you. First up today, you probably think of yourself as a pretty good driver, but there's always room for improvement. And here are a few ways to improve your driving skills from the website cracked.com. First of all, don't have your own car visible in either of your side mirrors. Just angle those mirrors away from you until the point where your car is no longer visible in either one. And then you should have no more blind spots. Pay attention to traffic and not just the road signs. There is evidence that too many road signs cause confusion and cause drivers to be complacent. The sign may say you have the right-of-way, but you will still be dead if you pull in front of that truck who doesn't slow down. High-tempo music makes you a worse driver. In the study, drivers listening to fast-paced music, over 100 to 140 beats a minute, were twice as likely to blast through red lights and had twice as many accidents as those who were listening to slower music or nothing at all. Always drive with your headlights on. The simple fact that your headlights are on will reduce your chances of being in an accident by 32%. And that is something you should know. If you have a computer, you always have to be thinking of cybersecurity. There are so many stories of hackers and identity thieves who who get into people's system and steal information, or hold the system hostage, or, or who knows what else they do. And yes, antivirus protection sure helps, but it isn't everything, because these hackers are always trying to stay one step ahead. So say hello to Marcus Carey. He's what you call a white hat hacker, which he'll explain in just a minute. And he's gathered some of the best advice from some of the best hackers and put it in a book called Tribe of Hackers, cybersecurity advice from the best hackers in the world. Hey, Marcus.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So explain what you do and how you got into this whole world of hacking.
1: I was introduced to technology when I was 18, really. I joined the U.S. military. Uh, Through that time, I got the chance to work for NSA and all kind of other government agencies. So that taught me to be pretty technically proficient. You know, just like a lot of hackers, I built systems and then eventually, I start learning how to break into those systems, and so that's what's got me to this point. Uh, I've always been on the good guy side in the military and working for like Department of Defense and other government agencies. So I'm what they call a white hat hacker,
0: which means you do what now?
1: So I started a company, and uh, we we break into people's companies uh, digitally. So we we do. Uh, continuous penetration testing, that means people hire me to try to break into their networks.
0: And you're pretty good at it.
1: I've been told I'm I'm pretty good at it.
0: So I understand the concern and why companies want to be very careful about their data and all, but how concerned should I be if I have my antivirus program set up and I have my uh, updates on and all that, how concerned should I be that hackers are trying to get into my office computer, my home computer, whatever.
1: So I would say that the bad guys are very opportunistic. Uh, They're trying to break into as many things as they can. And the way they do that most of the time is by infecting websites that you normally go to. Uh, Those could be travel sites. Those could be news sites. So they'll hang out on sites like that. Uh, They'll infect them with malware. And the whole intent is to uh, eventually uh, compromise your systems. So how does
0: that work? When you say they infect them with malware, how, then what does that mean to me when I'm looking at this site? What, how would I, what is it I'm looking at that's infected with malware?
1: A lot of times on the website that you're visiting, if the people that's running that website forget to patch something or they write bad code that allows an attacker an entry point, what the attacker will do is they'll put malicious code on it to exploit your home system. So imagine if somebody took over a website, a popular website, you can just put one in your mind, and they put a little bit of bad code on there uh, to compromise your system. And what your system would do when you're browsing at that site, it downloads a little snippet of code. It installs in your computer, and then from there, the attacker can control your computer.
0: And I don't have to do anything other than look at that website.
1: That's it. You you look at the website, um, and uh, that website is exploiting your browser in the background.
0: Aren't there protections, though, in place and that are updated? Either, you know, Windows is updating it, or Apple's updating it, or or the Internet service provider has some sort of security to prevent it, or, or the browser company has some... Isn't there... It's like a a battle, but aren't there layers of protection?
1: So through my research, uh, I've discovered that 66% of people don't patch ever. That means your home router, your your home system, your browser, unless it's set to automated update, people don't do it. And so that's why hackers are having such a field day is because people don't update their systems.
0: How do you update a router or a modem or a, a Wi-Fi? I wouldn't even know where how does that work?
1: Yeah, so it's it's quite technical. Uh, in some cases, you you have to go to your home router and you have to tell it to update the firmware in, in many cases. Uh, sometimes your ISP may update the firmware, but the truth is that uh, there's you know thousands, if not millions of devices that are on the internet. That aren't patched and it's sad it's, it's a bad situation
0: so how on earth can you protect yourself if you're not even sure things are updating and you don't know how to update them and you don't know if the other people are updating so where's the protection
1: well ask the people that sold you the device if somebody sold you a refrigerator or internet connected ask them how do I update this from from me what we call patches how do I patch vulnerabilities and you can ask that same question to your cable provider, uh, to the people that sold, you, sold your computer. Uh, and also you can just get into forums and things of that nature. The Internet has a lot of answers. Uh, but also be careful uh, what you download as well, because sometimes you, people are downloading software that's supposed to make them secure, but it's actually taking advantage of them as well.
0: Why would someone want to hack my refrigerator?
1: There's a million ways for somebody to make money off hacking a refrigerator. There's a lot of money to be made. I'll give you one example. I can hack hack a refrigerator and I can have that refrigerator in the background mine Bitcoin or something. I can have that refrigerator in the background uh, do ad fraud where it's going on the internet and clicking ads and you don't know. Uh, There's a million ways for these uh, hackers, these are black hat hackers, to make money. Of hacking any device.
0: Well, this is rather all f- very frightening to hear that that people are being used and and having their stuff stolen. Is there any is there any sense of like if you were to randomly ask a hundred people or look at a hundred people's computers, you know, what percentage of them have been hacked and compromised?
1: I mean, I think most people get get compromised quite often, uh, and sometimes we just don't know it. And, and things like antivirus and things of that nature can, can help you over time. Uh, but, you know, I recommend that people don't go to nefarious sites on the Internet, like the, the adult sites, uh, some of the dating sites. Those are the sites that you're more likely to get compromised at.
0: And yet, if you look at statistics, I mean, there's an awful lot of people that go to adult sites, porn sites i mean that, that that's like one of the biggest industries on the internet
1: yeah and and what's what's interesting about that market is that a lot of the people that that traffic that that kind of content don't care about where their money comes from so they'll take advertising from any anybody and so there's this thing called malvertising where something looks like an ad but it's actually an exploit and so uh, if you go to uh, legitimate sites like, say, ESPN or CNN or something like that, those sites have a higher threshold of content that they allow. But but when you go to sites like a porn site, they're going to have like a very low threshold for their advertising. And what happens is the users of those sites get compromised easily.
0: There is no, like, buy this one thing and you're good, uh, because it's always a changing landscape, right?
1: That's absolutely correct. There's no silver bullet. The thing that we preach in the cybersecurity world is to use good hygiene, go to sites that you know, don't download software and install it from places that you don't know, don't go to those adult sites. Those are the things that going to keep you safe on the Internet.
0: There are plenty of people, though, who don't go on adult sites or dating sites who still get infected and still get compromised. And I know I've seen things like, I once got a, a thing that looked like my bank's homepage, but it wasn't, and they were asking for information. So there's there's trickery going on. It's not just a clandestine, behind-the-scenes stealing of information and putting code on your computer. People are also sending out phishing emails and, and scamming people every which way.
1: Yeah, certainly. Deception and trying to fool the human is the main reason why people are compromised. So I recommend that people uh, understand what a secure website really looks like. Uh, and, and just because a website's secure, you really have to look at the URL to make sure that it is your bank that you're actually going to. You're right. People can copy your bank's login perfectly and get you to put your credentials into into there. But uh, if you do get these phishing emails, always verify who that email is coming from. Because sometimes it's, it's from a weird address that's not even related to your bank.
0: You know what I always wonder is who's falling for the Nigerian Prince uh, email that uh, seems to inevitably come in every once in a while that that you've won all this money and that you're going to get it from this Nigerian prince.
1: It works a lot. And also, it's not just the Nigerian prince. There's promises of brides and marrying people. And there's a lot of these different things. Uh, I tell people if the offer is too good to be true, it probably is, especially randomly coming on the Internet. You're not that lucky. You know, you'll be hit by lightning before any of those things are real. It almost
0: sounds like antivirus and anti-malware software is almost a waste of time because the the bad guys have already conquered that.
1: Antivirus does get some stuff, but it's just like the flu vaccine, where it's not going to always prevent you from something that's going to be, you know, tweaked just a little bit, just like mutations in in a virus. So uh, it's not totally useless, but it's not going to prevent you from stuff that somebody creates today. Have you ever been hacked? Everybody's been hacked. (laughs) Even you? Everybody, Absolutely, yeah. If if anybody says they have never been hacked, they're lying.
0: Well, that's certainly a sobering fact. Uh, I'm speaking with Marcus Carey. He is a white hat hacker and author of the book Tribe of Hackers, Cybersecurity Advice from the Best Hackers in the World. If you work as part of a team at your job... And I think most of us do to some extent. You understand that teams are supposed to work together. That's kind of the whole point of a team. Yet it isn't always easy if you're all in different locations and things just aren't organized properly. The solution is Monday.com. Monday.com is an online management platform that brings teams together to collaborate, communicate, and work all in one place. No more scattered documents, software incompatibility problems, different systems. Monday.com is the one place where your teamwork happens. I've seen it. We're on it. You should be too because it's going to make your life easier and more productive than ever. If it's working for our team, I can only imagine if you have a larger team how great Monday.com would be. Monday.com connects with all the tools you already use. Slack, Dropbox, Zoom, Google Calendar, Gmail, and that means all your work in one open tab. There are ready-to-go templates for your industry workflow, so you don't have this long ramp-up time. You just dive in, start working, and then you can drag and drop and customize it so it works exactly the way you want. It's actually really cool. Every team should be on Monday.com, and to prove it, I want you to try it for free. So if you want your team to be more effective, visit Monday.com for your free two-week
2: trial. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta.
1: making you old-fashioned today with the Wild Turkey Bourbon 101. It just really stands up very well in a classic cocktail like the old-fashioned. It has that perfect boldness.
2: Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly.
0: So, Marcus, what you're saying is <laughs> it's kind of scary, and I know people, usually older people, who still won't go online and transact or buy anything or sign up for anything or go on Facebook for fear of the kinds of things you're talking about, and and... And you're providing support for their argument. It seems that that maybe staying offline is the ultimate protection.
1: I don't. I don't think so because there is risk. But the truth is that like even if you have a credit card compromise, it's gonna. The bank gives you the money back. They issue a new card, and and you go on about your life. So I don't. There's not a lot of catastrophic life altering changes that happens through internet purchasing. So the banks are losing billions of dollars on fraud, but they always reimburse you. So it's, I don't think it's that. It's an inconvenience for sure, but it's not debilitating. And I think that, that you're fine.
0: Is there any possibility? Do you see any point in time where, where this problem will be solved, that there's now the silver bullet? There's now this thing that hackers won't be able to penetrate?
1: That's not going to happen um, because even if you even if you got rid of all the people that's trying to break into your network, definitely corporately, uh, there's people on the inside that are doing uh, crazy stuff. <laughs> so uh, I think what we're dealing with here is not a technological thing because all the things I told you about here are human behavior things, humans going to the wrong websites, humans doing this, humans doing that, humans clicking on the wrong things. So uh until we can make a perfect human there's always going to be hacking
0: so let's review w- what people should do and not do to keep themselves safe
1: I would recommend that people use antivirus to catch everything that people know about and there's actually new stuff that does uh, it's what they call anomaly based where they 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 can produce they can look at something and say, this is this program is acting bad to detect malware. So antivirus is actually way better than it used to be. So uh, use that. Use antivirus. Number two is set everything that you possibly can to do automatic updates of the software. Right? That's number two. And, and, number and, and wait, wait, wait.
0: And and when you say everything you can think of, well, maybe I can Like what? Like, help me think of.
1: All right, cool. So... Um, think of anything that, that anything that's connected to your internet. I, I'm looking at my desk. I have a I have a HomePod, I have a I have an iPad, iPhone, I have a Mac. Uh, just think of everything that, that that possibly connects to the internet and you, you should know how to update that. So that's that would be your mission. Okay, so so this, let, let's
0: let's look at that for a minute. So I've got an iPhone. How would, how in the world do I update it? Other than to just Apple tells me there's a, a new software update, and so I update it. Is that it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So when it tells you a there's a new update available, update it. And also, you can actually go to any device that you have that connects to the internet. And you can actually subscribe to any program to use for their security updates. And they'll email you and tell you when there's new updates available. And they'll tell you why they fixed it, what it fixed. Like, really technical information. That's what you That's what you should do.
0: Because I have a, I have a Nest thermostat, and, and I, I've never updated it because I've never thought to update it because it's just a thermostat. But why, why would I need to update it?
1: Yeah, a couple of things. Nest, uh, those use Wi-Fi. So... Uh, every once in a while, there's Wi-Fi vulnerabilities. Also, there's opportunities for people to, to, you know, use the app. So if I got your Nest username and password, I could possibly log into your Nest, right? Yeah, so anything's connected to the internet, you definitely want to make sure that you understand that this is important. Like, uh, I'm a big fan of G.I. Joe back in the day, and G.I. Joe used to say knowing's half the battle. So now that you know that anything connected to Wi-Fi should be patched. You got to try to figure that out.
0: If I have antivirus software, oh, let me first ask, is all antivirus software all pretty good if it's a name brand antivirus software? Are they all pretty much on the same level or are some better than others?
1: I would actually go look at consumer reviews of those products. And and uh, because the consumers are absolutely brutally honest, uh, there is no name brand thing some some work, some don't. Some big brands are, are advertising only. It's just like anything else. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad.
0: And if I have antivirus software on my computer and it's running all the time, is there ever a need to do a scan after the fact and, and it, because something might have slipped through? Or is that not... How does antivirus software work? Does it ever let things in and then you need to get it later? Or should it always be... Uh, the gatekeeper at the door keeping things out.
1: Yeah, you shouldn't have to scan a lot anymore, but I'll give you free I'll give you advice. So it's this thing called malware and it's you can get it for free. That's the only kind of like endorsement that I'll give. It works. Uh, so um, it totally works. There's a free version of it. There's also a paid version. I don't have any affiliation with them, but I can tell you that uh, I've had a lot of family and friends use it. And it just works. It's called Malwarebytes. That's B-Y-T-E-S.
0: So anything that we haven't talked about that you think is really important that people really need to pay attention to uh, to stay safe?
1: The big thing that people can do as well is don't use passwords. Don't reuse passwords because there's so many websites. And the easy thing to do is use the same password over and over again. However, if one of those websites gets breached, they can use your email address and password on any site that they want to. So do not reuse passwords, uh, even if you added some characters onto that pa- that main password. But the easiest thing to do would to be use a password manager. Don't reuse passwords on every site,
0: which everybody does.
1: A lot of people do it. I I've done it before my, myself.
0: Sure, it, and isn't the most popular password the word password?
1: Yeah, password uh, one two three four five six seven eight. (laughs) So you, if you do a password length, (laughs) so if it's a six passwords, it's one two three four five six. (laughs) So yeah, definitely uh, people uh, choose terrible passwords and reuse passwords. Reusing passwords is the is kind of like the worst thing that you can do.
0: Yeah, and yet it's so it's so inconvenient not to. It's so inconvenient not to use the password that's in your head, and it, it's just it's hard not to do it.
1: The first option I would do is I would use a password manager. One of them is called LastPass, and one's called one Those are the two popular ones that you could use. Uh, but also, like I said, if you just got a little memo thing and just wrote down uh, unique passwords for each site, you'll be pretty safe. Just don't let nobody get the memo pad right.
0: Well, it is interesting to think that something that we all use every day is so vulnerable to trouble. That it, it, and the story you've told and the picture you've painted it makes it probably seem to some people, anyway, more trouble than they thought.
1: I don't want to scare everyone because there's there's tons of countermeasures that take place when you know you've had your identity stolen. You've had all the just realize that this is the reality that we live in. Uh, but I don't worry too much about it myself.
0: Well, that's that's encouraging. If you're not worrying about it a lot, maybe I won't worry about it as much as I thought I should. Marcus Carey has been my guest. His book is called Tribe of Hackers, Cybersecurity Advice from the Best Hackers in the World. And you will find a link to that book at Amazon in the show notes. Thank you, Marcus.
1: All right. Thank you very much, Michael.
0: Visit geico.com today. That's geico.com. It's finally here. Untold stories, top moments from worlds brings you closer than ever to the best players, top moments, and biggest events from all the past League of Legends World Championships. The rise of Faker, the origin of Silver Scrapes, the greatest match ever in Freak's Basement.
1: We've got all these stories and so much more.
0: Untold Stories, Top Moments from Worlds. Listen for free, exclusively on Spotify. When people talk about healthcare, or specifically when they talk about their personal healthcare, it seems that they seldom talk about how great it is. There's a lot of dissatisfaction with healthcare today, and yes, much of it is about the cost, but also about the quality. There does seem to be this odd relationship that as more machines and technology enter healthcare, the more dissatisfaction there is. In part, it seems that more technology means less human contact, which makes you wonder about the future because there's more and more technology coming into healthcare. Eric Topol is a medical doctor who sees things changing for the better because of artificial intelligence. Eric is author of the book, Deep Medicine, How Artificial Intelligence Can Make Medicine Human Again. Hi, Eric. Welcome.
2: Thanks very much, Mike. Great to be with you.
0: So define what you mean by deep medicine. What does that mean?
2: Well, it's a opposite to shallow medicine, which is the way it's practiced today, with it's full of errors and little time with patients and little context, uh, and so in fact, they're all interdependent with the burnout and depression among doctors. We've got pretty much a sorry state. Deep medicine being the opposite represents the uh, understanding of each person, individual at a deep level, all the different layers of information, using deep learning, uh, a subtype of artificial intelligence, to get us to deep empathy so we can really have a, a very important a trust, precious relationship between patients and doctors.
0: So why do you think, or how do you think, we got to where we are today where medicine is practiced, as you call it, shallow medicine? How how did we get here?
2: The last decade and and then some was related to electronic health records, which was perhaps the greatest fiasco of all, because that was set up for billing and not in any way um, taken into account the importance of the relationship and the face-to-face, eye-to-eye contact, the human bond. So that was even more destructive. But along the way, there have been other hits, like uh, the whole relative value units. uh, The the squeeze has been going some time because it used to be, you know, you'd have an hour with a patient uh, for a new appointment or at least 30 minutes for a return visit. Those numbers have gone to 12 and 7 minutes and during those limited minutes there's keyboard punching there's you know a data clerk function so it's really led to this erosion a serious degradation of the way medicine is practiced
0: so then what's the solution i mean it would seem that problems are in healthcare are getting worse not better and it seems that there's more technology than less so so what's going on
2: well we have a way out And interestingly, Mike, it could actually make things worse, but that's the whole use of deep learning. So there's enough information now on each person, terabytes, not just their electronic health record, but their scans and their labs and increasingly so their sensors that they would wear for things like heart rhythm or glucose or or sleep or all sorts of things. And then their genome and their gut microbiome. And so we're seeing... The data uh, expansion for each person, big data, just keeps growing, and there's no human being that can assimilate, that can process and crystallize all that data. So we need the tools of AI. We need deep learning, uh, the particular type that will ingest all that data and then provide feedback to the doctor uh, or to the patient directly. So that's one big issue is teeing up the data for um, the ability to be more accurate in diagnosis and prevention and treatment. Another is, of course, eliminating keyboards. If we do that, they're the common enemy of both patients and doctors. And that's imminent. I mean, we're already seeing that start to happen in certain parts of the world, and it'll eventually occur throughout the U.S.
0: Why are keyboards such an enemy?
2: Well, because in those limited minutes together, there's no eye contact and it's disillusioning that you finally get this appointment which in the u.s is average over three weeks to get whether you're a primary care doctor and then that doctor doesn't even look at you and here you are you've got symptoms that are serious that's pretty much sums up how the erosion how bad it is right now and so if you have voice that just a conversation that's Um, made into a synthetic note. The notes are far better, as it turns out, than the keyboard um, pecking, and the 80% of which is cut and pasted with errors that are propagated from one note to the next. So uh, we're gonna get more accurate notes without effort and no data clerk function for doctors and ability to get back to empathy and care. I mean, what we've lost uh, is the care in healthcare. So that term is almost meaningless because it's very mechanical, robotic, uh, without the compassion, without the real presence. Uh, That's what we need to get back.
0: But how does adding more technology, AI and all that, make it more human? It sounds like it would make it less human.
2: Well, that's the counterintuitive, that's the paradox, that um, technology could make things worse with electronic health records, Here, it can make it better. It could also make it worse, too, because with it, there's going to be a lot more productivity, seeing uh, more patients, reading more scans, reading more slides. All those things could be the way administrators, the bean counters, use this powerful tool. On the other hand, if it's used to say, I'm not going to see more patients, I'm going to spend more time with each of them, and I'm actually going to see them because I'm not going to be working any data clerk functions anymore. And so if doctors and the medical community stand up for patients, which you know remains to be seen, it's going to require a lot of activism. That's where technology can enhance humanity. And it's a very exciting opportunity. It may be the most uh, important one we'll see for for decades or generations, maybe even ever, because there's hardly been a, something in technology that's this powerful and could be promoting the human bond
0: how do you know or why do you think that this idea and this trend will make things better when it does seem that that at least from the patient's perspective, quality of health care has been getting worse, not better
2: well, Mike, you know it can only get better at this point. it's so bad I mean we have uh, 50% of clinicians are in the burnout phase, 20-some percent have clinical depression. There's the record number of suicides. Uh, medicine has lost its way. The medical community uh, is fed up and disenchanted. Most doctors, if you talk to them today, tell their kids don't go into medicine in, in the U.S. I mean, we're at a sorry state. So, you know, we're looking for a solution that will make things better. And here it's a pretty uh, comprehensive uh, case for how this could work. It doesn't mean it will work. I'm acknowledging that it, things could get worse. It's just that it's hard to imagine it could get much worse. We need a solution. We need a rescue. And I don't know of another one at this point that will turn this around.
0: But so what do we do? We just wait around for this technology to be invented? or No,
2: no, it's all invented. I mean, We, we have deep learning algorithms that are in radiology, pathology, ophthalmology. I've already discussed the natural language processing for voice synthetic notes. I mean, there's a, there, it's all, there's over 25 companies with FDA approved deep learning algorithms. Uh, it's all happening right now. The point is, what are we going to do with it? Are we just going to have increased productivity where radiologists read more scans, pathologists read more slides, uh, and on and on? Or are we going to take advantage of this flywheel where patients take on more charge, where they have doctorless ability to do diagnoses for things like urinary tract infection, ear infection, skin rashes, skin lesions, and a long list of common things that are not serious necessarily. Uh, And we also decompress the work of doctors by things like elimination of keyboards, about having the data all teed up, about primary scan reading, slide, reading uh, by machines. So all of the technology is in place. It's in, a lot of it is getting validated right now. The question is, where is it going to lead us to?
0: But when you talk to people about healthcare, often the, the things they say they wish were different can't be solved by more technology. As you pointed out, it takes three weeks to get an appointment, and when you see, go see your doctor, you're made to wait 90 minutes past your appointment time because they're running late. Fix that. We don't need any any technology to fix that.
2: Well, good luck in fixing that if you don't decompress the workload of doctors today by by outsourcing to machines and offloading the burden to patients who are willing to take on more responsibility. Otherwise, it's not going to get better. Uh, It could even potentially get worse.
0: Because theoretically, the, the technology would free up more time for doctors.
2: Right, that is, the amount of time that is now spent in administrative tasks is twice as much as actually seeing patients. Plus, there's lots of conditions, of all the common conditions that are not serious, that can be diagnosed without doctors and that's really exciting. I mean, already in the UK, urinary tract infections are being diagnosed without a doctor, without seeing a doctor. Here in the US, we're seeing children's ear infections. These are common things that occupy the ladder, pediatricians, the urinary tract infections, primary care doctors. So uh, these things can be done efficiently, at least as accurate, if not better, through algorithms. And so we have to start taking advantage of that because we have a lack of technology uh, uh, being leveraged as it should be as it could be and it doesn't always have to be doctors it can be nurse practitioners nurse clinicians physicians assistants and as we've seen already there's an fda approved ability to do diabetic retinopathy screening without any clinician it can be done by the receptionist in a primary care doctor's office That's important because 50% of diabetics never have screening for retinopathy, which is a leading cause of blindness, and it's preventable. So these are examples of artificial intelligence algorithms that not only diminish the workload of doctors, but hand it off to either patients or non-clinicians, and that's exciting.
0: Is there resistance to this?
2: Well, there always is resistance to any change in medicine. Uh, Here it will be amplified because it will have impact on things like reimbursement, on lack of control. Some of these things require education and training. So there's resistance and there will be a considerable resistance to change as always has been the case in, in healthcare. But uh, if there's a better way out of the situation we're in right now, I'm just not aware of it.
0: Are you hopeful?
2: I'm very hopeful. I'm very optimistic and I think that we can really use technology in a meaningful way to bring back the human bond, and that sounds counter to many people, and we've already seen how that has not occurred in healthcare. care. But uh, there is a big chance here, and I hope we don't miss it.
0: And what's the next step? Is it just we just wait for it to be implemented, or is there what, what, what do we do?
2: Uh, well, there's a call out to get doctors and the medical community to get organized, to not let what has happened in the past, like I've mentioned, electronic health records and relative value units, health maintenance organizations, and all the other real blunders that there was no counter by the medical community. So a call out to get that going and to, to get solidarity. And if we can do that, uh, just as all these technology, um, validations, um, these uh, the progress that's happening concurrently, then maybe we can prevent the further squeeze. And that's the big maybe, and we'll see how it plays out.
0: Well, as you said, for a lot of people, healthcare seemingly has gotten quite a bit worse over the years, so uh, let's be hopeful that the things you're talking about will make a real positive difference. Eric Topal has been my guest. He is a medical doctor and author of the book Deep Medicine. How Artificial Intelligence Can Make Medicine Human Again. And there's a link to his book in the show notes. Thanks,
2: Eric. Okay, thank you.
0: Will you be going to a house of worship this weekend? There are some really good reasons to do that. A study shows a super strong link between attending religious services and living longer, and the effect is especially large for women. Basically, females who attended church once a week had a 26% lower risk of death compared to those who never went. Those who go more than that get an extra pat on the back. Their risk was reduced 33%. More casual churchgoers still got a boost with a 13% lower risk of death. Why is this? Going to church, it seems, can lead to higher rates of social support, Increased optimism and lower rates of depression. It can also promote more self-discipline and a sense of purpose in life. Lots of Americans see these advantages. 55% of the country goes to a church or synagogue more than once a month. And that is something you should know. We publish new episodes every Monday and every Thursday morning. And to make sure you get all of them, subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. Subscribing is always free. I'm Mike Carruthers. Thanks for listening today to Something You Should Know.